and I want to invite your attention uh, in the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to look at chapter 4. I have a series of messages that that I am titling um, The Glorious Appearing, Our Blessed Hope. Um, we will look at that through most of the month of, of August as well. Just as there was a first coming of Christ, the Bible clearly and distinctly teaches that there will be a second coming of Christ. And that coming should spark within us an anticipation of how we live. What you actually see, if you look at the Bible as a whole, if you step back and look at the Bible as a whole, from Genesis to Revelation, what you see is is that the Bible reads like a good novel. It's not a book of uh, disconglomerated kind of parts, but each book represents a progression in human history. And just as there was a beginning, the Bible teaches that, that there is a consummation of all things. So as we look at the Bible and as you look at, at the books of the Bible that are in your Bible, you begin to see that it is a historical revelation of God's revealed plan for humanity, for the earth, for all peoples. And then by the time you get to the book of Revelation, what we have as well as parts within the scope of the Bible. What you have is the consummation of all things and the ultimate revelation of the glorious appearing of Christ. The center person of the Bible is the person of Jesus Christ. And just as there was an anticipation of his first coming, which is now historical fact that was prophesied in the Old Testament, Jesus himself taught that he would come again. He said that he would come again. Matter of fact, his disciples were downhearted as we find in John chapter 14, 13 rather, and they were disturbed at the very fact that Jesus would be going away. And then Jesus in John chapter 14, John records that Jesus told his disciples that I go to prepare a place for you and if I go, I will come again to receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. So you're in the purview of God's scope where he is, where Christ is. Matter of fact, when Jesus was ascending to heaven bodily, the angels said, the angels came and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring up into the heavens, gazing upward? The same Jesus that you saw will come again in like manner. He will come in the clouds. Now I want to ask you this morning, we all mostly celebrate Christmas, don't we? With anticipation. 
what you find is, is that with the anticipation of the celebration of Christmas, there should also be an anticipation that God will bring to pass the consummation of human history. And if you look at the whole of the Bible, you find that, that God actually, and it's pretty clear, it's pretty clear how, how human history will progress, and that's what we're going to look at, how it will progress and how it consummates in the glorious appearing of Jesus our Lord. It is history yet to be fulfilled. And so what you find, you find you find out Old Testament prophetic scripture and you find New Testament prophetic scripture and all of it is the consummation of God's of God's eternal plan. And amazingly, when you look at this, this is called the doctrine of eschatology, or the doctrine of end times. It is a, it is a fundamental and crucial Christian aspect of Christian theology, that we understand it. That we have a full-formed biblical worldview of what God is up to. And amazingly, God has not left us in the dark with it. It has been revealed in the Scripture. Now... You know, that as we begin to look at this, the Jewish believers believed this and taught this because the prophets, they understood this from the prophets. Jesus himself taught this in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 in the Olivet Discourse. There was these questions. Jesus himself promised as well as the angels declared so there was a, the early church had a hope-filled anticipation that Jesus would come again. Oh, glorious day as we, saw, as we sang that this morning. Jesus is coming again. And you say, well, there's people and preachers that have said that for years. And where has he come? Well, the Bible addresses that. We'll look at that in the future. The Bible addresses that. But the fact remains is that Jesus is coming again. And we are closer now than we were yesterday. We were closer now, and we are closer now than we were a few years back. Now, amazingly, I, I, I kind of tracked the church through the years. Amazingly, I heard a lot about this in the 1970s. A lot of songs about this. A lot of people taught this. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of went off the radar. You didn't hear preachers talking about the eternal things. It was more like, how do I make it through Monday morning? And, but let me, let me kind of give you some perspective. If you step back and you get your eternity right, you, will, you can figure out. And God will help you how to get Monday morning right. But you've got to get your big perspective of where you fit in God's plan and, and understanding, it shouldn't be anything that is fearful or scary when we think about the second coming of Christ. Matter of fact, just the opposite is given. And if you will look with me, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about this. He talks about this very fact because there was a question that had arisen. What about the people, you know, some people are saying the Lord's already come back. And, and uh, so therefore, and some people were saying, hey, the Lord's coming back and he's, and they were, they were date setters and all that and Jesus warned against that. Nobody knows the day or the hour. 
But we do, do know the times and the seasons, and we need to be ready. We need to be prepared, and there should be an anticipation. And some people were anticipating it so much that they just quit their jobs, you know? And that's not a good response either. Um, you say, well, I, I think I want to do that. You know, if, if you did that, here's what you'd do. You'd quit your job, and you would run up your credit card debt, you know? That's a that's not a that's not a that's not a viable option. Um, we don't know the day or the hour, but we know that we should live with an anticipation of Christ's coming. So I want you to look with me in First Thessalonians chapter um, chapter four, and I want you to notice what Paul says. He says, "But but I do not want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep." Paul uses the term fallen asleep for those who are dead in Christ. And I'll explain this a little more. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus or the dead in Christ, is another way of saying it. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul's want us to know that the reality, the reality of the coming of Christ is something that we can anticipate. So where there is an anticipation in our lives, there is preparation of our hearts. Now, I want you to think about that. What we anticipate, there's preparation for. Give you, we're right in the season. School's getting ready to start, and you as parents are thinking about and preparing your child to enter their new grade that they're going into. And you're preparing with clothing and school supplies, and you're looking for deals. And, and why? Because you anticipate that there is going to be the coming first day of school. I mean, I will tell you, I really enjoy, I enjoy Christmas. Now, I don't enjoy it as good as some of my pastor friends. I have one pastor friend who perpetually celebrates Christian, not Christmas. I guess he's a good Christian. But, I mean, he has, he, has a, uh, he has a Star Wars Christmas tree in his office that hangs year-round. You know? And I'm like, man, you are really festive. I said, I'm not like that. You know, he's got, he's got these Santa Claus ties and all this good stuff. I mean, he's the real deal, man. Uh, he's Mr. Christmas, and uh, and and maybe we ne- maybe I need to be more celebratory of, in that regard year round because it is we do celebrate, but there is an anticipation for the coming of Christ. Now you got problems, you got things you're dealing with in life, you got you you've got all kinds of things, but the, you know I'm reminded of, of the old song uh, that George Beverly Shea used to sing, or I heard years ago. Uh, you know, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. And I wondered if we lived in the light of his coming, how we would face 
if we lived with that reality as a greater reality. Because it is a great reality according to the Bible. Now I know you've got plans. You've got plans for summer vacation. You've got plans for you've got plans in your life, and you've got plans like that. But but what about in the purview of human history? God has some plans. And what if God does? Then what I would want, and He's sovereign. What I would want to know then is what His plans are, and where I fit in them. Wouldn't you? I would want to know. I would want to know that. When Jesus said, where I am, there you will be also, I want to be in that there you will be also group. I want to be there. And just as most assuredly as as Jesus Christ was a historical human being, and most biblical scholars of any credibility believe that he was a literal person, and if the literal person died and rose again and there's historical evidence for it, then if this person said he's going to come again, I think we can bank on it. Now, there's no preacher, no group that know the day or the hour. If somebody sets a time, and there's people that have done this through the years, it's kind of funny uh, and, and sad in some ways, but it's kind of, it, it's, I mean, people have said the, the Lord's going to come back and they'll set certain dates. And all, you know, you know, all kinds of groups that have done this, a few groups that have, and they don't, he doesn't come back when they said, and so they'll reset the date. You know, Jesus warns us about that. He warns us about the reality of that. Uh, back in 1980s, there was some guy that had written, you know, Jesus is going to come back in 88 reasons he's going to come back in 1988. And, you know, what happened? He didn't come back. <laughs> Like he said. And so people kind of spiritualize it. That's why, that's why you know, God's not into that. But I want to tell you something. There will be a day, and it's, not unknown, it's unknown to man. But only in the counsel of the divine decrees of God himself, the sovereign Lord. He knows the day and the hour. And so what he challenges us to do is to simply be ready. Now, this message has basically... If, if, if we look at this, here's a, a scheme to understand what, what we're looking at here. We are living in what we would call the church age. Now, interesting enough, the church age is, is called the last days. I mean, all of it. And there's the last days and the last of the last days. And the, the Bible says that the church will be caught away. Literally, harpazo. The church will be caught away, swept away. Some people say rapture, but the, but the better word is to be caught up. It will be caught away, and then after that period of time, I believe, some people believe differently, but I, I believe that the church will escape a time of tribulation because during the time of tribulation, hell will break loose. In other words, there's going to be a mass exodus of God's people. And the church will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, according to what the Scripture says here. And then what happens in heaven is that the church will deal with the, what's called the Bema judgments. Where man is, and it's not a judgment of whether they're saved or lost, it's a judgment of, of rewards. Of what you've done with what God has given you, basically. And on earth, there will be the unfolding of a series of, of judgments seven years and then Christ will come back 
So when you look at the second coming of Christ, know that there's like two aspects of this that we, we, we really need to kind of consider for it to even make more sense to us. And that is that there is the catching away, and that's what I'm looking at this morning, and then there's the coming again with the church. The reality of it is, is as we look at here, is, is that the rapture of the church, this idea of the rapture of the church then, is a comforting, it is a comforting truth. There's three things that we look at in these passages that, that Paul gives us here. First one is, it's a comforting truth. The second one is, and this is the little outline here, it is a commanding anticipation for the believers. Go ahead and go to the next slide. And it's, it is a compelling motivation to be prepared. So if, you are trying, you know, if you're sitting over lunch today and you say, well, what did the pastor preach about today? Well, here's what he preached about. This is the Cliff Notes version, okay? That there is a comforting truth for the grieving. And that there is a commanding anticipation for the church. And there is a compelling motivation that should prompt a motivation for me to be prepared in my life for Christ. Let's look at the first one. The first one is, is, a, it is there is a comforting truth for those grieving. As we, and I, let's just kind of go back here and look at this. He, says, he, says, Brother, he said, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who are dead, about the dead in Christ. Now, the Bible uses this as a term of, to talk about physical death. What is death? Death is a physical separation of the soul and spirit from the body. That's all it is. It is a physical separation. The body goes back to the earth. The soul and spirit go immediately to God. When a person dies, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And that reality is, is that that person is not sleeping in a grave somewhere. Their soul is not asleep in the grave. No, the Bible teaches that they are presently with the Lord. Now, what amazingly that we're looking here is concerning those who have basically have died. Don't sorrow as others who have no hope. Know that God has a person or has a plan for those who are dead in Christ, your loved ones that you grieve for. God, God has a per, had a purpose and a plan, and so when we grieve, we grieve as not with somebody without any hope. That you know they're just kind of lost, but with hope. And he's saying, so if we believe that Jesus, now notice here, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so here's a qualification. If we believe that Jesus has died, died and rose again, even, go, even so God will bring with him those who are dead in Christ. So one of the things that, that he's reminding us that will, that will happen here on this day, on this day, this is this, and that is that those who are alive, there's going to be a grand reunion in the air. I got, I remember these 1970 pictures, and uh, I think there's one in our old church um, of of the rapture, and the rapture is graves popping open. Now this sounds like something in a science, five mystery kind of deal, doesn't it? It's it's all you know for our scientifically enlightened period of time. This sounds like science fiction, but 
I'm kind of reminding you that there was, a, there was a tomb that burst open also. So this is not something that's out of the purview of something that God cannot do or God will not do. So there was graves that burst open and, and, and there, was an, um, there was what happens is at the resurrection of the dead, there, God gives a glorious body like unto Christ. So you wonder what people will be when they gather in glory. We won't be disembodied spirits kind of floating around singing kumbaya. Okay? It's not going to be that way. Now, this is teaching stuff, so are you following with me? Okay, here's what happens. According to the Bible, is that there is a reuniting of the body and the soul and the spirit, and the body is now made into a glorified body. It is God's reality. It is God's reality of the ultimate makeover. Hallelujah. Right? Now, some of you, some of you look in the mirror and you say, man, I need to work on that. And it may be, you know, or, or you're, boy, oh, you know, these, these crow's feet. Uh, I tried to convince my wife last night that I had dimples. And she said, <laughs> she said no, Greg. <laughs> They're not dimples. I said, well, I smile a lot, you know. And, and, and she said, and by the way, you know, she didn't say this, but I thought, yeah, and I, the doctor told me I had age spots going on too. But there's going to be the ultimate makeover, right? You want to be young again, right? That, I mean, that's the, that's, the, that's the deal. I mean, this is God's ultimate makeover, okay? It's a glorified body. What is that glorified body like? It's just like the body. It will be like the body of Jesus, all right? And it will be without sin. It will be without problems. It will be without difficulty. So he's saying, you think, you think this thing of death, you know, here's why, there, here's why death doesn't have the final say. Because of an empty tomb and God's promise that there's going to be a resurrection one day. In other words, God's going to pull it all back together. Every molecule. Every atom. Every, everything. And, and the, again, the, the things of this world will grow strange to them. Now here's the, that, that's what's going to happen for the dead in Christ. Of those who already are with the Lord. But he says that there's something else that's going to happen too. He says there's going to be some people that are going to be translated like Enoch who walked with God. They're going to, they're going to kind of be stepping out one day and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they're going to be driving down the car and they're going to exit that. Now, if I were flying in an airplane and I were lost, I would, I would want to make sure that <laughs> my, my, I would want to know where my airplane pilot stood, you know, during that. Because I want you to think about this. When this happens at this event, if this, as you look at the, as you look at the, at, at the possibility of this, there will be mass chaos on the earth as believers exit. Mass chaos. Mass chaos. He says, because of this. Now I want you to go. So, first of all. It is a comforting doctrine for those who are grieving. You've got some of you have lost, some of you have loved ones, and you've been grieving over the going away of your loved ones for a while now, maybe. And God says there's going to be a grand reunion day, and there is. And and you're not going to remember all the sorrow stuff. And it's it's kind of like that. You may not. Remember. I don't know if I don't know how God does this. I don't know if He wipes our memory. I don't know. I don't know how He does this, but. We won't have the things that weigh us down here. It won't be. 
God, and that's, that's, that's why there was a hopeful anticipation for believers, who, and Rachel read it as well, who were dealing with suffering. I want you to think about this. We live in a church in America, but the church worldwide right now is facing a lot of persecution and a lot of suffering. And, 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 and the, re, the reality, and so this is a comforting doctrine for those who have lost loved ones. The second thing is this. It is not only a comforting doctrine. The second thing, it is a commanding ex- expectation or an anticipation. Notice here, it's a comforting truth, but it's a commanding expectation, anticipation of the triumph return. Notice here, look at verses 15 and 16. For if we say by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend. This is the coming of Jesus in the air. What did the angel say? The same Jesus you see coming, leaving, will do what? Come again in like manner. Now this is in your Bible. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. This, he will descend from heaven with a shout. And then there's going to be this voice of an archangel. We don't know the archangel, but it may be Michael. It could be. And then the trumpet of God. Trumpets always called an assembly together to worship, or they called they called a group together at, to make an announcement. There is an, there is the coming of uh, the sounding of a trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Notice here, there is no ambiguity and no uncertainty in this in Paul's in Paul's view. He says the Lord Himself will descend, just like He said. He will descend from heaven with a shout and the air. And then there's going to be the voice of the archangel. The trump of God will sound. The dead in Christ will rise in an immediate taking up to glory. And this has a commanding anticipation. That it will happen. And notice here. It's the Lord himself. It's with a shout. My grandfather, Uncle Ben, used to sing the old song, they'll be shouting in the air after a while. After a while. After a while. We need to win. After a while. A little while. After a while. And believers in the church will be exited triumphant. Jesus comes after his own, by the way. You don't have to have to worry about that. You just need to know him. He's not waiting for you to be perfect. He's waiting for you to trust him. This is a commanding triumphant receiving Of what God purchased. God said the purchase was so is is so real that I placed a deposit in you in the Holy Spirit. So all of those who are in possession of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit in possession of them will be received. And the possession of the Holy Spirit is not something it's something you get it is who you get when you get saved redeems you 
He comes to live inside of you. God, it is God's seal and His mark and the reality of His deposit within you that He receives you. Now that's a powerful, powerful reality that Paul lived with. The third thing is this, is a compelling motivation. There's a compelling motivation in verses 17 and 18 of how we should live. Then when we shall alive and remain, we'll be caught up together. There's the word aparzo. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, where Jesus is is a good place, right? Where Jesus is is a good place. It's a good place. It is, it is the believer's ultimate destiny to be with Jesus, with their Lord and their Savior in glory. And the Bible says is that when He appears, we will appear with Him in glory. We're, we're going to kind of be in the, in the shadows of His glory. We're going to share in it. That's what the Bible says about you. There's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no death, no tears in heaven, no sorrows given. All will be joy in that fair land. In other words, when, when the rapture of the church, when the catching away of the church takes place, believers will be with Jesus. But it's not finished on earth. There will actually be people that will be saved in this tribulation period of time. I'll talk about that a little more later. This is a compelling commanding anticipation for us to live in this light. It is what forms a biblical worldview, a way of looking at the Bible. And it, it also helps us to live on Monday morning. It helps us to deal with life and reality in our lives. And here's how. Here is how. So we are to be prepared. Notice here verses, uh, th- these verses, 13 through 18. We, we see that. We'll be caught up, comfort one another with these words. Now, I want you to, this is something then that we need to be prepared for. We need, to, we need to know that Christ could come back at any moment in time. We don't know when. But we do know that he can come back like he promised. So how should we live in light of that? I want to give you, I want to give you a few things that, that you need to be thinking about. The first one is be prepared through a life that is, that is disciplined toward godliness. In other words, right now is the time not to be shrinking back from God. Right now is the time not to be shrinking back to living godly lives. Now's the time to, to not kind of have a, have a you know, it's, it's a time that is pertinent that we are prepared spiritually. Let's go to the next one. That we are prepared spiritually. Be prepared through a disciplined walk in godliness. Notice here in Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age. Looking for, he says it here the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself as his own special people, zealous of good works. He's saying, here's the earmark of, of what it means to be prepared. 
Notice here, denying ungodliness. Worldly, in other words, there is a command here of a renouncing ungodliness in our lives. I'm going to ask you, have you renounced ungodliness in your lives? Renouncing sin in your own life. Not your neighbor's life, your own. This is what it means to, in other words, there is self-examination and then there is a renunciation of what we know is contrary to the will of God or the purity of God or what is, or, or what is in line with godliness. So, uh, den- denying or renouncing ungodliness and then the worldly lusts. I mean, the world, the world baits us, doesn't it? The world baits us in its advertisements, in its philosophy of life, in its living. And, and the idea of living in the world is live for the now. You know, pay later. You know, enjoy. if it feels good, just do it. You know, live for yourself. Don't think of anybody else. And matter of fact, Paul said this to Timothy. He said, that's going to be the characteristic of the last days. Men will be lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. Seriously. And don't you think the spirit of the age is not trying to bait you and allure you into the worldly allurements? They are. It does me. In, in everything from how we look at ourselves, how we look at life, what we want out of life, and, and it begins to shape our whole way of looking at life and reality and our worldview. Notice here, Paul says, step back from this and recognize that you are owned by God. He has purchased you. So deny ungodliness. That's what sent Jesus to the cross. You know, I'll just tell you, you know, now's the time to press into God, not move away from Him. And He says, renounce ungodliness, worldly lust. And He says, if you, and then you need to be looking up and looking for. The glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. In other words, there is no pleasure in this world that will compare to the glory that will one day be revealed. There is is no cheap substitute for the glory that will be revealed in the coming of Christ. So he says, do this. He says, live, be prepared through a disciplined walk in godliness. And you say, well, I have a problem with this thing. That's the word there, that discipline, Greg. I know. Why? The world allures us. It's competing for your affections of your heart. It's competing for your, what you think about, and it's competing for what you choose. And a lot of times there's money right behind it all. And, and so he's saying, listen, Press into the things that you cannot see, but will be. Press into those things and look for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of Christ. He's going to redeem us from every lawless deed. Purifying for himself, his own special people. You're trying to figure out your identity, there it is. I belong to Jesus, and he belongs to me. Hallelujah. That's why I'm looking for him. And I just want to tell you, I'm looking for Jesus now more than ever. I've heard this all my life, and, and I have been more impressed as a pastor. that, And I began to think this other day, Lord, what do you want me to preach on? This is not one of those real like, whoa, whoa. You know, everybody doesn't get real excited about preaching on these kind of subjects. We want something practical we can live on. We want 12 easy steps, or we want three easy steps, or we want five easy steps of how I can have a better Monday morning, or how I can be a better me. 
But I'll tell you, you're going to be the best you when Jesus comes back. You believe that? That's right. You are. Thank you, Chris. You get them going, bro. I know. And, and here's the deal. You may not be everything that you want to be right now, but you're going to be everything God's intended for you to be. Just trust Him. You're not going to be perfect. He knows that. But your, your perfection is in the one who's already perfect. He's the perfect keeper of law and righteousness. It's Christ. They look to Him. And, and you know, when you, make, when, you, when you sin or when you deal with something in your life, you say, man, I, you just say, I thank you, Lord, that this is your problem. Or, and you know what? I'm thankful that you died for that sin on the cross. And I pray that you'd empower me to walk in the power of your spirit, that I can walk godly in my life. So, you, you know, this is something you don't go on spiritual autopilot and get, folks. You just don't. It doesn't happen. And as a pastor, I have to tell you that. It doesn't happen that way. It, it's something that, it, that you, as you yield to Christ, he empowers you to, to live out. Now, here's the second. I've got to hurry up now. You, you be prepared by, by life striving for personal purity. Number two, beloved, we are children of God. And it's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know when He is revealed, we will be like Him, and that will be good. Say that with me. That will be good. That will be good. It will be. For we shall see Him as He is. John saw Him in the Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 8, I think. Somewhere in through there. Feet like brass... Eyes like fire, I mean, he was righteous, holy. For we shall see him as, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. There's your motivation for purity in your life. Maybe that's why we don't, maybe that's why we deal with a lot of impurity in the church world today. Maybe we've lost sight on the coming of Christ. And what if we just simply got back to Scripture and we, and we look for Jesus and we look for the coming of Christ and, we, and then we pray that we can live godly lives that are, that are worthy of Him. Third thing. Let's look at the third thing. I'm going to give you these kind of quickly. Let's look at these. Be prepared through an awareness of the times and seasons. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's now concerning how and when these things will happen, dear brothers and sisters. We, we don't really need to write you for when we know quite well and then he uses the day of the Lord's return. Now I want you to think about that scheme I just gave you back. That is the second coming of Christ. He will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When he comes back at the end of the tribulation, that's when that's going to take place. Notice here, but the applications are applicable at any point in time. Notice verses 6 and 7. So be on your guard, not asleep like others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. So don't get out and go. don't get drunk. How can you how can you say it? Don't live in drunkenness. Don't live in a stupor, either spiritually or physically. Right? Hallelujah. Amen. Don't do that. Why? Because you're called to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Now, I know this is real preachy. I know that. But let me just tell you, as I'm preaching this, I'm preaching to me. As we, as we begin to look at this, be aware of the times and seasons that we're living in. You, you watch the news, don't you? 
I hear stuff that just disturbed me. I'm thinking, man, you know, and I, and I honestly always go back to, to first. Uh, I think First Second Timothy, where it says, "Men will be lovers themselves. They will, they the, they will be blasphemers of God. They they will be the the love of their love will wax so cold." That is characteristic of the last days, folks. And it's right before us. We see it in our, we hear it on the news and we hear it all around us. And I find myself disturbed by most of the time and anxious. And so I'm thinking, be aware of the time. Then I begin to go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Here it is. Here's the the fourth thing. I want you to look at this. I'm I'm closing here. Be prepared not only through the awareness of time and seasons, but let's go to the next one. Be be also prepared for being clear-headed, clothed, and confident in the Lord. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and, and love, wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. The confidence of our salvation is basically in Christ. As the daylight arouses, the soldier is called to action. If, if he were to sleep, he would be drawn. He, he's awake and alert. He hasn't spent his night in carousing, but he's living in soberness. Here's the last one. Be prepared by living securely in the salvation that the Lord has given. Notice what Paul says at the end of this. He says, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. That's why I believe that the church will be taken away before. The wrath of God is poured out. You say God's going to pour out his wrath? Yeah. And I don't take delight in saying that, but the reality is, is you have those questions. When is God going to take care of some of the evil in the world? I can't rightly judge it. But God knows because he's a good God and he's a gracious God and he gives people the space to repent. Thank God he gave me the space to repent. You know, don't judge me for as I am, but judge me for who, who, who I am in Christ that I may be counted righteous and worthy. Because otherwise, in myself, I am not. And neither are you. Notice here, Christ died for us that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we will live for him forever. So encourage, so encourage each other and build each other up just as we're, you're already doing. Notice here, God has not called us to pour his anger out on us. Why? Because we are in Christ and God poured his anger out on his son. For our sin. You say God's angry about sin? Yeah, why is God so messed up about sin? You know why? He has created us in His image. He has such a great plan for our lives. It breaks the very heart of God. If God were just totally, totally indifferent to it, like, yeah, just kind of live for yourself and you create you the way you want to be created, is that love? We, we, we as parents, you, you know that, what, what it takes to, in the love of your child. I mean, you tell them some things. Hey, you, you know, you need to steer away from this. You, you need to, 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 to add some of these things into your life. Be, be prepared by living securely in the salvation of the Lord. In other words, this shouldn't be a time that you're fretting about, and it's not if you know you're saved. Now, if you don't know you're saved, I would be concerned. I'd say, I think I want to be prepared to know the Lord in my life. 
I'm going to close with this. Jesus gave an illustration in the Olivet Discourse. He says that there's a planning of wedding. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase this. There's this planning of a wedding. And the wedding party, all, all, these, all, the, all the virgins got together in the bride's house. We don't know who the bride is in that group. But they get ready and they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. He said the bridegroom is, is going to come and claim the bride and then they would light their lamps and they would make a progression or a procession to the, to the groomsman's home. And there the wedding festivities would begin on this, on the, in this procession. He said it's like this. He says there's, there's, five, in the, there's five in the wedding party that have their lamps there and they have oil and they're ready. And he says there's other five who are foolish. He says they have their lamps but they don't have no oil. And then he said the night, the, the day goes on and then the night time comes and they get tired and they get drowsy and they all fall asleep in, in anticipation and waiting for the, the bridegroom to come. In weariness they fall asleep. But at midnight, there's a knock at the door. The bridegroom's here. Let's go. It's time to get our lamps. It's time to make the procession out for the marriage supper. He says there's five wives. They put their oil in their lamps and... They get to go on their way. And he said, the five foolish say, hey, can you give us some oil? I said, no, we've we got to have enough oil for our journey. You go in town and purchase your own, basically. And the, 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 you get the moral of the story is to be alert and be ready. To be aware. Jesus said that. I didn't. Jesus said that. He said to, to be alert. To be ready, you don't know when the midnight cry will come. But most assuredly, as we're sitting here, the midnight cry will come one day. And whether you're sitting here or somewhere else or on your job or where else you may be, or you're in the grave, there will be a cry. And I want to ask you, are you ready? Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray that you take my feeble words and somehow use them. My feeble ways of trying to explain this grand and glorious doctrine of your coming again. Help us to look to you today. Help us to know you with all of our hearts. Father, I pray today for anyone here that doesn't know you, Savior and Lord, that today would be their day. That they would pray and ask Christ to come in their hearts. I pray you'd give them courage and faith to do that today. We are thankful for this blessed hope in Jesus. And it's to him that we look. Help us to be prepared to live godly and holy in this present age. It is our prayer in the name of Jesus. And together we say, Amen.